Hey, good morning or good. How are we doing today, Traders Point? We doing okay? awesome. So good to hear. I just want to take a moment to welcome everybody at all of our campuses. Anybody who's tuning in online, man, we are so glad that you are here. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, And just before we get rolling, we just want to take a moment to uh, acknowledge what is going on in our world right now, particularly in Ukraine and the seriousness of this situation. Guys, there is a crisis taking place right now, and we just want to stand in solidarity. We want to stand in unity. And more than anything, we just want to be the church and go and and, and really do what we only know that we can do, and that is really to, to pray. But beyond that, we we also are looking as a church just for tangible ways that we can be the hope and the help that our brothers and sisters over there need right now in this moment. And so because of your generosity, we've been able to financially assist some of our partners over there right now. There's a ministry called Life Song, and what they are doing is they are really ministering to vulnerable children and families in Ukraine, which is phenomenal. Uh, We are also helping out a, a organization called Polish Christian Ministries, and they are preparing to receive refugees who are fleeing from Ukraine into Poland. And so, man, that is phenomenal. We want to celebrate that. But we also know that it's hard right now. And there are people and families that are experiencing hardship and fear and worry. And we do not take that lightly. And what we want to do is right now in this moment across all of our campuses, just lift our voices to God together. So uh, let's go to God in prayer. Why don't you join me as we bow our heads and, and we pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you now in this moment with our hands, even our hearts just lifted up to you uh, in full surrender, asking that you do what only you can do. God, we believe that there are tangible things that we are called to do and and actions that we can take, but it cannot be done without your power. and, And we ask you to intercede right now. God, we pray that you would be with every mother and father, every child, every person right now that is experiencing the hardship that is going on over in Ukraine, that you would minister to the hearts of people, God, that you would give them the peace that only comes from you. God, we pray for the hearts of people in leadership, no matter what side they are on, God, we we ask that you would intervene and that you would soften the hearts, that you would make them tender, that they would be able to see you supernaturally and, and make the decision that is needed. But God, we also just pray for every pastor and every church leader over there right now who are ministering to the hurting. God, would you strengthen them? God, would you equip them supernaturally? God, would you give them what they need in order just to be faithful in the midst of chaos? And God, as the church, God, help us to have wisdom on how we can navigate this, whether that's supporting financially or just lifting up in prayer those who are hurting right now. We give everything over to you. We thank you and we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. 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 Well, um, hey, if you are just joining us, we are currently in a series called Masterclass. Uh, And Masterclass is interesting. It's an interesting concept if you're not familiar with it. It's this idea that you can pay a monthly subscription and you have access to teachings from some of the best people in the world. I mean, these are communicators, these are thought leaders, uh, musicians and artists and, and and even chefs. And earlier this week, I was actually just looking on their website and I was kind of checking it out to get more of an understanding. And I came across their homepage and I saw their slogan and it said this, it says, they changed the world, now you. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cute. Uh, (laughs) It's kind of interesting. I mean, we got Alicia Keys here and I started thinking like, I mean, there's no way that I'm going to be able to sing as half as good as Alicia Keys. I'm not changing the world through that. You don't want to hear me sing. That's not my ministry. Um, 
wouldn't be good. Um, but then I was like, man, I, honestly, like, I just need help with practical day-to-day life stuff. I don't need to, nothing's happening through me in terms of changing the world by learning from, from any of them. Can Gordon Ramsay not, don't teach me how to make the perfect filet mignon. Can Gordon Ramsay teach me how not to lose the twist tie that goes on the edge of the bag of bread every time I make a sandwich? Like, is it just me or does that thing like grow legs and walk away or blend in with the rest of the counter and I'm spending two minutes looking for it? No, I think it's interesting, though, because I started looking at that slogan again. They changed the world. Now you. And I was like, did they hijack that? Because what I see and what I know is that there was somebody who actually changed the world by the way that he lived and said something very similar. The reason that you and I are gathered here today, the reason that we are in this space right now is because 2,000 years ago, there was a Middle Eastern man who claimed to be God. And he lived a selfless life and he loved people in an unprecedented way. And then he turned to his followers and he said, all right, now you, your turn. And so what we've been saying is that Jesus taught the original masterclass. He is the ultimate master at life because not only did he die so that we could have it, but he died uh, so that we could experience both in this life and beyond. And so in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, he teaches what we call this masterclass, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And unlike masterclasses today, he, uh, he didn't record himself giving a lecture or performing how to do a certain skill. His teachings weren't available on demand at that time, and nor did he charge a, a monthly subscription, although there was a cost for choosing to, to follow him. No, what Jesus did was he, he climbed up onto a mountainside and he sat down and he began just to, to preach. And we get a glimpse of this in, in Matthew chapter 5. Uh, the very first verse, we see what this was like. He said, one day, as he saw the crowds talking about Jesus gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. And so I think what's important for us to know about this is that um, this wasn't like your normal Sunday message. It wasn't um, him giving an intro and, and three application points and a few funny illustrations. No, scholars believe that this actually lasted for several days. That this was a few days of preaching. And you and I have a hard time sitting through 35 minutes. Could you imagine several days of listening to somebody teach? But I think the other thing that we need to take note of is just the posture that Jesus had. It said that he sat down and began to teach. And I think sometimes we can just gloss over that. But this was a common practice that many rabbis took when it came to to teaching. Rabbi just means teacher. And and Jesus went up onto this mountain and he sat down and it said his disciples gathered around him. Many rabbis would sit down either in some type of chair or even on the ground and their students would stand up around them oftentimes just to, to learn. So it's very much the opposite of what we do here. I'm standing and you guys are sitting, but it was, it was flipped back then. And the reason that that is important is because we've been saying that the primary audience that Jesus had was his followers when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount. That's who the words for, were for back then, and that's who the words for are today. So if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, man, these words are for you. So it's important for us to know that as we go into today's message, And so as he began to preach, he began to to talk to his disciples and and say, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is how we are supposed to live out our lives as it relates to following God. And so today we are going to be in Matthew chapter 7. So if you have a Bible or even a device with the Bible on it, go ahead and, and flip or scroll there. And if not, it's totally okay. We'll have all the verses on the screen next to me. 
But as you're turning there, I just kind of want to recap what we have gone through so far in this series as it relates to the Sermon on the Mount. It's been some pretty interesting topics. So let's look at them. The salt of the earth, light of the world, anger, conflict, adultery, murder, divorce, lust, vows, revenge, loving your enemies, money, prayer, worry, and judging. Man, can we just take a moment to give it up for Pastor Ryan and Pastor Aaron as they have led us through this series. Man, we need to celebrate them because this is not easy, easy topics to, to talk through or even to teach on. They're heavy. They were heavy in, in Jesus' day and they're, they're heavy today and they present quite the challenge. But it doesn't mean that we shy away from teaching on these things or even addressing them. I believe that we should face them head on because uh, life does not shy away from delivering hard circumstances and Satan does not shy away from trying to deceive us with lies. And so we need to equip ourselves with the words of Jesus, even when they are hard to hear and allow them to push us outside of our comfort zone so that we can grow. And so with that, <clears throat> even though it is challenging sometimes to be able to hear these words and as we step into them, I think a lot of times we're still left asking ourselves a question because life can be hard when it comes to following Jesus. And I just want to throw this out there today and maybe we can wrestle with it together. What do we do when spiritual growth is harder than we expected? What do we do when spiritual growth is harder than we Expected. I don't know about you, but uh, I've, been, I've been following Jesus for over 15 years now. And there are things in my life that I thought that I would have mastered or I would have down. And despite my, my role or my title, like I am still a work in progress. And it can be quite difficult to fully obey the, the teachings of Jesus. I know we have some super Christians and y'all not going to admit that here in the room in church. But no, it can be, it can be hard when we talk about spiritual growth. So what, what do we do when it comes to that? And I think Jesus offers us some insight today that is really going to help us during our time together. So let's look at Matthew chapter 7, and beginning in verse 7, we're going to read it. This is what Jesus says. He says, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks finds into the, everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And so here, Jesus is talking about uh, prayer and he's picking up where he left off in Matthew chapter six. And honestly, I think as we read something like this, it, it kind of sounds good, right? It can seem like Jesus is kind of giving us this magic formula for how to get what we want. You know, just ask and, and you'll receive it. Name it and claim it. Anybody ever heard that before? You know, honestly, I, I've heard it taught that way by, by some people. Uh, you'll have preachers get up there and say, you know, just if you believe or if you, you pray this prayer, or if you sow this seed, God is going to bless your socks off and your miracle is coming and, and all this other stuff. And for some of us, that, that may sound, sound good, but for others of us, it's kind of a turnoff. And maybe you followed that or maybe you believed that and, and you did the thing. You did X expecting God to do Y. And when God did not fulfill a promise that he never made, you walked away. You walked away from God or maybe you walked away from the church because your wants were, were not met. And so I, need, I think it's important for us to know that Jesus is not teaching us how to, to rub the, the, the magic lamp here in this, in this passage. So what is he saying? 
Well, I think we have to look at this verse in context because it's going to give us a lot of insight as to what he actually is saying. At this point in his message, he's kind of, he's kind of rounding third base, if you will, as he's uh, talking through the Sermon on the Mount. He's heading, he's heading for home. And right before this, we saw last week that Jesus had just talked about judging. And he told his disciples, he gave them this warning, hey, the standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And man, these are some, some sobering words. Many of the disciples were likely thinking, man, how in the world could we live up to these teachings? Who is adequate enough to be able to follow these? How can we live up to such a, a high standard? And so in other words, Jesus was saying, hey, I'm calling you to a level of spiritual maturity that requires a little bit of, of growth. And the disciples, like, like many of us, were saying, man, but that's so challenging. Man, that's hard. What do we do when, when spiritual growth is harder than we expected? How can we receive some help? How can we receive grace in order to fulfill this, in order to live out these teachings of Jesus? And it's in this moment that Jesus gives these words of release. He says, just ask. Keep asking and you will receive. Keep seeking and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be opened. I need to clarify that in this passage, Jesus is teaching us how to pray over our spiritual needs, not our material wants, right? And so if we are going to be going to God in spirit, for our spiritual needs, we have to know what he is like. We have to know how to approach him. It's not that material wants are not important. I think they have their place for sure, but God is certainly more concerned with the, the motivations of our heart. Because that's where the kingdom of God begins, and that's how he fully builds his kingdom in this world is through our hearts. So we have to start there. So let's break down actually what Jesus says in this passage. He first starts and says, hey, just keep, keep asking. Ask and you will receive. And I think this has everything to do with making, making our spiritual requests known to God. Asking him to help us overcome the challenges of spiritual growth that we have. And I believe there are a number of us who would say, man, I would love to ask God to help me with my spiritual needs. But, you know, if I'm being honest, I just don't. I just don't. And I think we have to then kind of probe a little bit more and dig at that and, and ask why. Why don't we go to God asking him to help us with our spiritual needs as much as we should? And I think there's a number of reasons for sure. But I think as I was thinking through this, this earlier this week, there were two that kind of, kind of rose to the surface for me. And I think it's one that a lot of us wrestle with. And the first one is just pride. Man, we can be some prideful people. We live in a society that says, hey, you can be self-sufficient. You can do it on your own. Maybe you grew up and you were very independent. You didn't need a whole lot of help. And so somehow the residue of that has transferred over into your spiritual life. And you're like, you know what? I, I can do it on my own. Maybe you grew up in an environment where asking for help was considered weakness. And so the thought of you going to God and asking for help with your spiritual needs or to grow uh, spiritually it's just kind of out the window. I don't want to generalize this, but I see this a whole lot, uh, particularly with, with men. And in the, um, the guise of, of, of masculinity, under this perception of masculinity, we think it means just full self-sufficiency. Now, we don't need help. We can pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. We can, we can, we can carry the weight on our own. We can, we can do the thing. And, and as a result, what happens is we end up just putting on the face, suppressing, and just kind of powering through. But that's not how God has called us to live. None of us. Actually, the burdens of that is, is actually too much for us to be able to handle. 
And I think it's beautiful whenever I get to sit across from somebody and they actually come in just brokenness and they say, man, I'm tired of trying to, to muster up the strength. or st- I'm tired of suppressing. I'm tired of trying to live this life on my own without any help. And I just, I just surrender. I'm like, man, that's the very heart that God is after. That's what he wants. He says, I, the, the sacrifice that I want is a broken and contrite heart. So God just really wants us to be real with him. He wants us to stop hiding. He wants us to come and just be honest with what it is that we're struggling with. And he promises that we will receive whatever it is that we need spiritually in order to to live faithfully to him. But I think the second thing that we often struggle with or the reason that we don't ask is really just this guilt. So we got pride and then there's this level of guilt that some of us sometimes feel. It's like a shame or maybe it's an embarrassment because, um, because of what we have done or what has been done to us. And so we say, God doesn't want to hear from me. You know, I, I just keep messing up. Or I, I did that thing again that I said that I wasn't going to do. And, and God just does not want to hear from me. And I want you to hear me clearly that there is a healthy level of conviction that we should have over our sin. But there is never shame or guilt that should come with that. Why? Because Jesus went to a cross to die for that very sin that separated you from our heavenly father. And now he says, hey, you can come to me directly. You have direct access to me. You don't have to hide. You don't have to feel guilty. You don't have to feel ashamed. I actually want this relationship with you. I love what it says in Hebrews chapter four. It says, then let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Some translations say uh, with confidence to the throne of grace. And there we will obtain mercy and help in our time of need. So we don't have to feel guilty about bringing this before God and saying, God, I need your help in order to continue growing spiritually. So Jesus encourages us, hey, just keep asking and you will receive what it is that you need to live faithfully. But he even takes it a step further and he says, don't just stop there because it's not just about receiving something. It's more than that. It's actually about cultivating a a relationship. And I love the uh, reminder that Ryan gave a few weeks ago as he was teaching us uh, about prayer, specifically the Lord's prayer. I don't know if you remember, but he said something pivotal. He said, we don't pray to get something. We pray to know someone. And I think that is exactly what Jesus wants us to know as he says, hey, just keep asking, but also keep seeking. So let's look at what he says next about seeking. He says, keep seeking and you will find. And I think a lot of times we think, we look at the word seek and it's like, that's a little uh, uh, peculiar because we typically seek something that is either lost or something that's hiding, right? Um, But we know that that doesn't apply to God. God is not lost and he's definitely not hiding from us. So what is it that we actually are seeking? Well, the Bible talks about the fact that we should always be searching after God's will and searching his character. God is a relational God and he wants us to know him. He says, hey, you want to know me? You want to develop this relationship with me? Just, Just search after me and I promise that you will find me. Search my heart and I will reveal myself to you. I don't want to hide myself from you. I actually want this growing relationship with you. It just requires you to, to seek me out, to seek my character. And I think we get that from being able to spend time with God in his word and in prayer. He says, hey, it's, it's kind of like a relationship or with a friend or with a significant other that you're in. Get to, get to know the person. You have to spend time with them. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants to be found. Trust me. It kind of reminds me of like what happens when I play uh, hide and seek with my, my daughters, particularly my, my three-year-old. It's, it's the funniest thing. She'll uh, 
she will like go and hide around the room and, and I'll, I'll, I'll have to, to find her. But when it comes time for her to find me, she does the funniest thing. She says, okay, daddy, uh, you go hide in the closet and then I'll count. Like she tells me where to go. I'm like, baby, that ain't, that ain't the way it really works. Like it, that, let's, let's go over the rules of hide and seek again. But I think it's funny because in a lot of ways that is our relationship with, with God. What happens with, with me is I don't, I don't go and hide elsewhere to try to trick her. Now it goes where she tells me to go because I want her to know, hey, wherever I look for my dad, he's, he's going to be there. I know where I can find my heavenly father. He's not trying to, to trick me or hide from me. I'm going to go to where I know that I can find him. And I actually uh, abide by that because I want her to know, hey, I am where you think that I am. I love what it says in Jeremiah 29, 13. It says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. So God says, we have to keep asking. We have to keep seeking. And then he says, keep knocking. And I don't know if you noticed, but this kind of, this kind of builds in intensity. You go from asking and then you get a, a little bit more active and, and involved and it goes to seeking. And then it, the intensity builds to, to, to knocking. And I think this has everything to do with, um, with our persistence when it comes to our prayer life, when it comes to developing a relationship and cultivating a relationship with God, we have to, we have to be persistent. And as I was thinking about our culture uh, and particularly here in the West, I mean, there's a lot of things that we struggle with, but for us, I, persistence to me is not one of the things that we, that we struggle with. We live in a, in a very ambitious culture. We are relentless. I know I am. If there's something that I want, like I am relentless at going after it until I get it. Just ask my wife. That's how I got her to marry me. Um, no, but I had to learn how to transfer that level of persistency in my life over into my spiritual life, over into my, my prayer life. And several years ago, man, there was a scripture that I um, came across. I just stumbled across it one time in my quiet time, and it like jumped off the pages at me. You ever had that happen? It comes from Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah is talking to the Israelites here, and I just want to share this with us today. He says, O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. And then this is what really hit me. He, says, he said, take no rest, all you who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work. And I had to sit with that. I was like, okay, take, take no rest. Uh, that he's calling us to, to, to go to God and, and to not really rest spiritually when it comes to our prayer life. But then the second part is kind of what threw me off. He said, give the Lord no rest. In other words, he's saying, hey, like continue to go to God in prayer. And the moment that you think he's falling asleep, the moment you think his eyelids are closing, hit him upside the head with another prayer. I'm like, what? what, what how do we give the Lord no rest? And I had, to, I had to go and kind of like fact check this. I'm like, I hope this isn't just unique to this portion of scripture or to these people. And so what I started to do is I started like to try to connect the dots throughout the theme of the Bible and see, hey, where is this present in other parts of the Bible? And I just want to share a few of them with you today, because I think when you talk about knocking, it's this level of persistence that we see all throughout scripture. In Genesis 32, Jacob wrestles with God and says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He gives God no rest. In Exodus 32, uh, Moses had led the, the children of Israel out of Egypt. They're at the bottom of this mountain now worshiping a golden calf, and God gets ticked. 
and Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and God is like, Moses, leave me alone. Uh, hold me back or something because I'm getting ready to wipe them out. They're worshiping a golden calf. And Moses intercedes persistently on behalf of the Israelites and starts reciting the promises of God to him. God, you led them out of Egypt. Did you lead them out just to destroy them? God, what are the other nations going to think? God, remember the promise that you made to Abraham that you would multiply his descendants as many stars there are in the sky. That's how many descendants Abraham is going to have. God, you said this. And God gets so frustrated with Moses. He says, God, leave me alone. You are wearing me away. I'm getting ready to wipe them out. But Moses persists in his prayers and his requests on behalf of the Israelites. He gives God no rest. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells this story about a man who goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night and starts knocking on his door, asking for food. He's like, hey, I need this. I need this. And his friend says, God, I mean, please leave me alone. I'm already turned into bed for the night. My family's sleeping. I cannot help you out. But the guy continues to knock at the door. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, the same way I want you to pray to God and be persistent in your prayer. The same way that guy was persistent at knocking on the door, you should be persistent in going to God and giving him no rest. In Luke chapter 18, uh, Jesus tells the story of a persistent widow. You got to look it up when you have time. And he says the widow goes to this judge and continues to cry out for justice night and day. So much so to the, to the point that the judge says, hey, I'm, I, she is wearing me out with her request. I'm just going to give her what she needs because of her persistence. And Jesus says, I want you to pray the exact same way. 1 Thessalonians 2 says, pray without ceasing. Man, this is all throughout the Bible. We have permission to continue going to God in prayer, believing that he can give us what we want spiritually. I just want to know if there's anybody here who has seen the power and the presence of God because of our persistent prayers. We are to give him no rest. And so if you are looking for some kind of takeaway as it relates to this, I think this is what we can take away that we can pray God's promises with persistence. Pray God's promises with persistence. If we want to see the kingdom of God lived out through us, man, if we want to experience the power required to grow spiritually, then we have to pray God's promises with persistence. God, you said, God, you said you would never leave me or forsake me. God, you said, peace, I leave with you. God, you said, do not fear, take heart because I have overcome the world. God, you said that your power is made perfect in my weakness, that your grace is sufficient for me. God, you said that you are the king of the world. And I do not have to fear. We are to pray his promises with persistence. But I want to be careful because this isn't us if you have this misconception that this is us twisting God's arm, if you think that this is us trying to coerce God into doing something, I need to cast that down because we can't do any of that. What this is, is this is us seeking God's heart, seeking to be so tethered to his heart that his desires become our desires. That we are seeking the giver more than the gifts. That we want to know him intimately until we truly know his heart and know what to ask for. So that we can become more and more like him. And so uh, I love how Jesus just emphasized the fact that this is not transactional. This is indeed relational. So if we keep reading in, in verse 9, look at what he says next to kind of put a light on how we can know our father's heart. He says, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a steak? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? And Jesus says, if you're a parent, you know what this is like. If your child comes to you hungry, you are not going to give them anything that's bad for them. Unless it's McDonald's. <laughs> I ain't going to lie. I'll be feeding my kids some McDonald's. Like, frequently, a couple times a month, maybe once a week, uh, <laughs> we are there. Two cheeseburgers, small fry, and a Happy Meal. Like, that's where we are. And all the Chick-fil-A parents is judging me right now. Don't be <laughs> you're judging me. We just talked about judging last week. No, but Jesus says, hey, this is the heart of, of the Father. If you know how to give good gifts to your children, man, that's but a fraction of the heart that your Father has when it comes to giving you the gifts to live out his commands. And so I think all of us now are wondering, okay, what are good gifts? Can we, can we define that? What's the sandbox that we get to play in when it comes to, to good gifts, right? Uh, I'm glad that you asked because actually in Luke's account of this very same sermon, uh, he clarifies it. Look at what Luke says. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's the answer. You want to know what is considered good, what God wants to graciously give us? And we should ask for the Holy Spirit. It's the spirit of God. Why? Because that is where the power is. When we talk about how do we, how do we overcome uh, the hardships of spiritual growth, man, it is through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I truly believe that that is what separates our faith from the rest of the religions in the world. Because it's not about us uh, trying to be moral people. It's not about us trying to white knuckle life so that we could prove how good we are. It's about us relying on something and someone bigger than ourselves so that he can work in us and through us. It's what separates the Christian faith from every other religion. There's a, uh, a theologian and a pastor that has become like the, the, the favorite of mine over the years. He was a revivalist in like the, the 50s and in the 60s. His name is Leonard Ravenhill. And he wrote a phenomenal book on prayer called Why Revival Tarries. I just want to share this quote from, from him. It's so powerful that talks about the distinguishing of Christianity. He says, Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God and comes and lives inside of him. And I was like, man, that is powerful. And that is true. The very spirit of God comes and lives in us as we choose to follow Jesus. And not only that, but he gives us the power that we need in order to grow spiritually. And I think the, probably the biggest disciple that knew this the most was a guy named Peter. And Peter was jacked up. I don't know if y'all know, but Peter's life was messed up. But as he began to follow Jesus, receive the power of the Spirit, man, God did such a work in him that he gave him what he needed in order to live the life that God had called him to live. And he talks about it in verse, uh, in 2 Peter, verse, uh, verse, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 3. He says, by his divine power, talking about the Holy Spirit, God has given us, say this with me, everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence. Peter said we have received this divine power through the Holy Spirit and now we have everything that we need in order to live the life that God has called us to live. But the question is, do we believe it? Because it sounds nice. 
I think we can read the scripture. We can come in and, uh, and to church and speak all the Christianese and say, I believe this and I'm blessed and highly favored and high, yeah, all this other stuff. But like when we get down to the core of it in our prayer life, in our closets, like do we believe that God has given us everything that we need in order to live the life that he's called us to spiritually? I was in um, Los Angeles last week and um, I, I, uh, I had to catch an Uber to go somewhere. And uh, man, riding in an Uber is always interesting. I'm still trying to, to figure out the, the etiquette of how you interact with the Uber driver because you got some people who are like, just want to talk to you about everything, right? Like how many cups of coffee they had that day and how, the, how their kids are doing. And you got others who are just like, they ain't talking about nothing. Like I'm here for one reason and one reason only. Don't talk to me. I'm taking you from point A to point B. And so I'm in the back of the seat just trying to figure out what kind of driver I got. And um, I don't know if you know this about me, but like I, I'm more of an introverted person. And so like it doesn't come natural for me to just like be conversational with people. I'd much rather just be back there on my phone. But uh, I always try to live with intentionality. I always try to uh, just be Jesus to whoever is right in front of me. And so uh, I just felt led to, to, to have a conversation with the guy. And so I'm asking him questions and man, he's not having it. <laughs> He's like, nah, I ain't here for that, bro. Like, I'd rather not talk to you. And so that's when I was like, all right, God, I tried. Like, dang, like, you know, I, I tried to do the thing. Um, but I just felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, no, just, just keep going. Just keep asking and, and keep trying to be conversational. And so um, I asked him, hey, bro, how, how long you been driving? How long you been doing this? And he kind of opened up a little bit. And it's almost like a, a switch flipped. I don't, I don't know how to describe it, but he was like, man, I, yeah, I've just been driving for about two years. And uh, when the pandemic, pandemic first hit, I lost my job. And uh, I was working that job for about 10 years, and they laid me off. And I was like, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. And he was like, yes, I've been trying to find another job, but I'm either overqualified or I've been overlooked. It's just, it's very hard right now. And so I just began to give him some identification and uh, just ask him more questions. He had moved from uh, Wisconsin out to L.A. several years ago, and and he started opening up more and saying his family has uh, kind of turned his, their backs on him and uh, are saying some very mean and harsh things. And um, he's struggling just with life and the meaning of life right now. And um, then he, he said, yeah, man, I've actually start, just started turning to alcohol over and over again. I, I'm an alcoholic. In that moment, I was like, should I be in this car right now? With this? <laughs> you sober now? Are we, are we good? But I just began to be like, man, man, I'm sorry to hear that. He was like, yeah, I tried the alcohol anonymous and, and all the things. And I began to just open up about some things that I've struggled with in the past. I wasn't trying to fix him. I wasn't trying to give him answers. I was just trying to be present with this guy in the moment. And I just felt the spirit say, just ask him about, ask him about me, ask him about his, his faith. So I was like, hey man, like, I just want to know, like, where are you at in your faith? What does that look like for you? And he was like, oh, I mean, well, I try to pray in the morning. I, I, I pray for God to just give me what I need. And I give him thanks. And I was like, bro, that's great. Um, I said, have you taken like your situation about this to God? He was like, man, I think God is tired of hearing from me at this point. I don't think he wants to hear how much I, I screw up, how much I turn to alcohol, how much I'm trying to numb the hardships of life with alcohol only for it to be temporary and leave me more and more empty. And I was like, man, let me just stop you right there. I want you to know that God loves you and God is not tired of hearing from you. God wants to hear from you. And not only that, he wants to give you what you need in order to live the life that he's called you to live. Man, please rest in that. And then I said, but the question is, do you believe it? Do you believe that he wants to help you? 
And it was in that moment, I couldn't see his face directly, but I saw through the rearview mirror, he started to get a little misty-eyed. And he said kind of with a, a trembling voice, he was like, man, I, I guess so. I guess so. And I was like, man, you need to know so. God loves you and he wants to give you the power that is needed in order for you to fully find the satisfaction that is only available in him. And so, uh, man, I began to pray for him and we finally got to where we were supposed to get to. And I'm getting out the car and he was like, man, you're you paying Uber. I feel like I should have been paying you for this, uh, <laughs> for this counseling session. And he said, I never asked you, man, but, but what do you do? And I was like, oh man, that's not important, man. I'm just glad that that God gave us this opportunity for us to talk. And I began to. And I just began to, yeah, I prayed for, I prayed that God would give him accountability and community, connection. But more than anything, that he would know that he has a heavenly father that loves him and wants to empower him to live the life that is needed to grow spiritually. But I want to be careful because what I am not saying, please hear me clearly, is that all you have to do is pray and everything is going to be okay. No, there may be some resources that you need to seek out, and that's fine. There may be some counseling that is involved, and that is totally okay. But what I am saying is that because we have access to the Spirit of God, we can know that we have God's heart and that he empowers us to keep going, especially when we want to quit. We just have to seek him out, and we have to ask. And I want to pose that same truth to somebody here today. Because maybe you walked in here and you are struggling with something. One of the many things on the list that we have been going through in this series. Addiction or lust, forgiveness, anger, pride. Do you believe that God can and wants to help you? More importantly, do you, does your prayer life reflect that belief? Hear me clearly. You have a heavenly father who loves you and wants to empower you in order to live the godly life that he called you to live. Do you believe it? The truth is he is there. And so if we continue reading, Jesus kind of uh, supports all of this truth uh, with, uh, with who he is and the importance of staying connected to him. If we look uh, further in chapter 7 in verse 13, he says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult. And only a few ever find it. And if you're like me, um, your eyes were immediately drawn to a one portion of that scripture that said the highway to hell is broad. And Jesus was not quoting an ACDC song, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and if I'm honest, like when I was young in my faith, like this scripture used to like keep me up at night and caused me to question a whole lot. I would doubt like if I'm am I truly saved, God, am I on the highway? Am, are we good? <laughs> but then I had to, to look at this scripture always in context, remind myself who Jesus is speaking to. He's talking to his disciples, those who have chose to give up everything and follow him. And it's more of like a reminder. Hey, remember, I, I am the only way. So Jesus is not saying it's difficult to become a Christian. What he's saying is, hey, remember that I am the only way and everything else leads to destruction. Proverbs uh, chapter 14 says, there is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. 
Jesus gave a reminder in John chapter 10. He said, hey, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Listen, following Jesus is a road that is not commonly traveled. In fact, it is an unpopular to the rest of the world. And we might see a much wider road, a much easier road, a much more attractive road, if we're being honest. But Jesus is saying, hey, that's not the way. It only ends in destruction. Some of us, myself included, have traveled down that wide road. And we know that it seems like it's right, but it leads to emptiness and pain and hurt. And we are left trying to fulfill our wants and our desires with things that were never meant to sustain us. And so we, we, we grasp and we grip for more and more and more, more money, more success, more sex, more fame, more things that we think are truly fulfilling. And God is saying, no, those things only lead to destruction. Turn, I am the way. I am the true way, the, and the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. You cannot try to fulfill your need for God without God. And I think that's what a lot of us try to do. And Jesus is saying, no, I am the way. I am the truth. And so we have a choice. We can pursue the wide road or we can pursue the narrow path. And this is what Jesus has been talking about all along. That as you grow spiritually, when it seems like it's so much harder to grow spiritually, Man, there is a truth that he is the way, he is the narrow gate to stay close to him, to stay tethered to his heart, and he will lead us down this narrow path. You know, toward the end of Jesus' life, we see just a vivid picture of him actually living out everything that he commanded us here in this passage today. It's phenomenal. He, uh, he finishes by kind of ending this meal that he has, the last supper with his disciples, and he grabs a few of them and says, all right, Y'all come with me. I'm going to this garden. It's called Gethsemane. And here in this garden, right before he gets arrested, right before he's getting ready to go to the cross, he prays. And he doesn't just, you know, pray, pray this, this small prayer. He prays persistently. Scripture says that he goes three times to God. And it's not to get something. It's to commune with God to get to know his heart, to be reminded of who the Father is so that Jesus can fulfill his purpose of why he came to this earth, to die for you and for me. And as he's praying, you know what happens? Scripture says that the Father actually responds to Jesus's prayer with a good gift. Look at what it says in, in Luke uh, chapter 42. Jesus said, Father, if you are willing Please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And then look how God responds. It's such a good gift. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Jesus says, keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. I'm not just going to tell you what to do. I'm going to model it for you. I'm going to be persistent in my prayer in order to be obedient to what the Father has called me to do. Because it does get hard. It is difficult. But if we would just go to our Father and ask, He is a good Father with a good heart that would give us what we need. Not what we think we want, but what we need in order to fulfill His commands. And this is exactly what happens. Not only that... Jesus would then go on to, to take a narrow way, one that everyone else thought, you know, looked like it was leading to death, but truly led to life. He let himself be arrested. 
tried in court unfairly, whipped until his flesh was raw and beaten until he was unrecognizable. After this, he would choose to go up to a mountain, but this time it was for a different reason. With barely any human strength left, he carried a heavy cross up to a hill and on top of that hill, crowds once again gathered around him. But it was not to hear him teach. Crowds gather around him this time to, to mock him and to tease him and to ridicule him. And instead of sitting down this time, Jesus would let himself be lifted up onto a cross, taking the sins upon the world so that we could experience eternal life and not be separated from our heavenly father anymore. And on this mountain, he died. And everybody thought that it was over. On the surface, people said, close the curtains, let's go home, pack up your bags, it's over. Jesus' mother could be heard weeping and people went into hiding, mainly his disciples. They thought it was over. But behind the scenes, the spirit of God was being persistent. And three days later, Jesus' lifeless body began to breathe again. And he proved that he was not just some good human coming to teach good morals. He proved that he was not just a rabbi that was coming to sit down and to teach people, but know that he would ascend to heaven and he is now sitting down at the right hand of the Father, giving us the spirit that we need to obey. It is beautiful. And now in this moment, his arms are open for anybody who is willing and ready to receive him. He is the one doing the seeking and the knocking right now in this point. He is the one seeking you out, knocking on the door of your heart and saying, hey, I want a relationship with you. Maybe you're like my Uber driver who is trying to cope with the hardships of life with more and more things that are leaving you empty. And Jesus says, no, I am the way. Just rest in me. The thing that you are looking for can only be found in me. The fulfillment, the satisfaction, it can only be found in me. Take off the, the disguise, take off the mask, stop trying to suppress and act like you don't need the help. I am here for you. And all you have to do is respond. And we wanna give you that chance today. No matter where you are, at any of our campuses or right here, you can respond and believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Not only that, he didn't die just to give you eternal life, but to give you life right here and right now. And for all of us, as we get ready to enter into a time of worship, I want us to be reminded of the hope that can only be found in Jesus that there is freedom in Jesus, that there is liberty in Jesus, that there is hope and love and grace that is available in Jesus that he was the one that modeled all of this, that he would ask and seek and knock persistently, that he would be empowered by the very spirit of God, that he would seek out the narrow way that all of us are to travel down. And at the end of his life, he would then turn to his disciples, turning to you and me now and saying, now you, it's your turn. I wanna pray for us right now in this moment that all of us pray at all of our campuses. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that we get to serve a good father who wants to give us good gifts, namely the Holy Spirit. And that when we are in moments where we say, what do we do when spiritual growth is harder than we expected? All we have to do is turn to your word and you say, just ask, keep asking, keep seeking and keep knocking. And I will give you everything that you need in order to live the godly life. 
God, I pray over anyone who is here right now who maybe walked in feeling the weight of sin, weight of their mistakes, the weight of, of their trials. God, I pray that they would know that they could ultimately rest in you. God, I pray that whatever it is that they have been turning to for fulfillment or satisfaction, that you would cast that down and you would make it so clear to them that you want their heart and they can grasp for yours, that they can trust the relationship that is available in you. God, I pray that you give all of us the diligence to continue seeking the power of your Holy Spirit so that you can continue building your kingdom through each and every one of us. We thank you and we love you. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.